accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Continuing our coverage of Deep Space Nine, we're up to Sanctuary, which is the 10th episode of the second season. It aired back on November 28th, 1993. Teleplay goes to Frederick Rappaport. Gabe Esso and Kelly Miles provided the story, directed by Les Landau. Uh, the teleplay Frederick Rappaport, his only other credit on DS9 is Move Along Home from the first season. We'll move past that. We'll say, Sanctuary is about a group of refugees who come through the wormhole in search of Cantana, their fabled homeworld. We're joined by Clay to talk about this one. Clay, how are you? I'm good. I'm really excited to be on this episode because I didn't realize it was going to be a sequel to Angel 1. That's true, right? That's a call. That's a good callback to uh, the female-run matriarchy of Angel 1 is now... Uh, Basically, you become a leper after a little while, and you start shedding your skin everywhere, and then you yeah, end up here. They've really, they've really updated their their style as well, uh, <laughs> their clothing style. Yeah, I wonder. Although I, I was wondering if uh, I'm hoping somewhere there's a uh, a deleted scene with uh, one of one of the husbands where they're like, "So, uh, how did you guys get together?" And he's like, "He made me fuck her." <laughs> Does um. That never gets old. I love that guy. Do I you, wish he did that in everything he was in. <laughs> do you, um, I guess it's it's not really attached to anything, so we'll do it in the intro here. The DS9 aliens, are they, are they dumb, or am I just giving TNG too much credit with their alien design? Uh, are, are the alien designs dumb? Well, the, the DS9 that... alien design so far really strikes me as, like, uninspired on some level. Yeah. And I don't I know agree. if maybe I'm just going into it uh, with like a TNG prejudice where I'm like, oh, all the designs on TNG are pretty good except for the black leotard guys in the season seven. But <laughs> am, am I just, would you agree or do you think that we're just sort of like asking too much of the show? Well, at this point, you are um, 10 seasons of Star Trek in yeah. Which requires like a new, well, 10, 11, 12 seasons of Star Trek and uh, counting DS9. Um, and uh, plus all the movies and stuff. And you've got to keep coming up with new shit. Eventually, you're just going to kind of run out of ideas. And it's just going to be like, what if it's like, you remember the show Sliders? Yeah. You know, every time they slide into a different dimension where it's it's like our universe, but it's slightly different. And the first like season or so are all really cool. And then eventually by, like, season five, it's like they show up in an alternate universe where, like, pants zippers work backwards. And right. That's the only thing that's different. <laughs> exactly. And I think you just run into that where it's like, well, shit, we need, a, we need to come up with a new alien that's you can act through the makeup um, and uh, isn't... Uh, There's a whole uh, lot is, of them, so it needs to be easy to yeah, do. Yeah, it has to be yeah. easy to do, yeah. and it has to be different enough that it's not a repeat of something else. And so then you end up with just, like, what if we just spray them with latex and then like let it set poorly yeah <laughs> yeah it's like popcorn ceiling basically from a that stuff that you have to hire the government to come in and remove at this point i i, I was, think i was just gonna say i think i think it's probably a cross between like you know I, I, the bajoran makeup is is pretty great actually because it's so simple but it's very recognizable yeah yeah um and i think they're kind of caught between that 
and doing something like that feeling kind of like might be phoning it in or having to go the other way and do like a Ferengi thing. So it's like you got to find somewhere in the middle where it's something that you can do fairly easily that's, you know, not going to bring everything down but is still kind of unique. It's 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 a tough it's a tough uh, needle to thread. I, I think that I'd I would just like, like if I was in the production team and they came in with like the the makeup designer came in and was like this is the test case, this is probably what they're going to look like. I'd say just leave them alone. You like <laughs> like don't don't do this. Like just make them humanoid. You know, I'm not yeah. going to I'm at a point in Star Trek where I'm not going to ask questions if some human-looking person comes through the wormhole and is like we need to live over here. Or they should just start doing like uh, no, there's something weird about him, but it's it's under their clothes, so we're just not going to show it. Right, exactly. Anyway, let's get to the episode. I'm going to take a break. We're going to play an audio clip, and then me and Clay are going to break down Sanctuary. Are you one of the leaders of your people, Hanik? Me? Oh, no. I'm little more than a farmer. I was just lucky. How so? I was the first one to find the eye of the universe. You were looking for the wormhole. We had heard about a great tunnel being discovered. We knew it must be the eye of the universe that would lead us to Kentana. Kentana? Kentana is a legendary home of the Screens. It has always been portrayed in our sacred texts as being just beyond the eye of the universe. A planet of sorrow where the Screen will sow seeds of joy. I can't guarantee you'll find Kentana, but I can promise you that we'll help you find a home. Okay, it's been a little while since we've recorded last, actually. We actually had, like, a true break. I lost internet. The snow came and killed all of half, or at least half of New England, so we're just out here. And I lost sort of... heat for, like, four days. Oh, did you? Yeah. <laughs> the, um, the, you know, so we're getting back into it. It almost was a little break from Star Trek. I kind of forgot the last thing we did. The last thing we did was Second Sight, I think, which mm-hmm. is the Cisco and the ghost to lover story. Um, I'll be honest with you. Uh, every time that I sit down to do one of these now... I'm like, oh, I wonder how many he's done since the last time I did one. And it was the last couple. It's been just me. So I was like, oh, he yeah, must be slacking. <laughs> it's it's stuff with no Internet. And now mm-hmm. that we're uh, now sure. That, well, now that we're getting into uh, what your sort of episode uh, structure was supposed to be about Deep Space Nine, we actually have to wait around for you a little bit more because uh, I don't know if you caught. They don't, did mention, don't put this on me. They did mention the Dominion in this episode, but we'll get to I that. did. I did catch that, yeah. Um, so the second sight was just a bad episode. I think we forgot to rate mm-hmm. it in our uh, last episode, but it was a one for me. It's a terrible episode. Um, Sanctuary is not a good episode, but it's an interesting failure of an episode, mm-hmm. I think, on some level. And I'll start it off by saying that, before I throw it to you, the original ending of this episode was that the Screens were allowed to live on Bajor and become like co-inhabitants with the Bajorans. Mm-hmm. they rewrote the ending. And I feel that they wanted to have this melancholy sort of ending. They wrote an ending and then didn't change anything else through the rest of the script. Like they just sort of flipped to the ending on itself. And I feel that that's, it's, it's basically the fundamental problem I have with this episode is that it's a lot of stuff going in a lot of different directions and none of it really amounts to anything or makes sense in and of the total story that's going on. Yeah. Um, Excuse me. Um, this is this was interesting for me because you know uh, when we started the show, I mentioned that the the, uh, 
the thing that made me hesitant about Deep Space Nine was that it seemed like it, all the episodes to me seemed like they were the episodes of TNG that I didn't like that were just like diplomacy and people just talking to each other. And um, this seems like right in the pocket of one of those ones that I wouldn't like. But what I wasn't counting on is how much I've come to like Kira as a character. Sure. And so I was actually kind of interested in, in what she was doing and, and her relationship and, and uh, with these aliens and stuff. And they had some kind of interesting stuff in there. Um, I think the biggest dis, uh, misstep for me, though, is um, when it comes to the point of uh, the uh, scree- screens. I think, they're, I think they're called screens. Yeah. Screens. When it comes to the Screens saying, we want to live on Bajor, and they say, no, the Screens don't have any substantial argument why they should. It's just that they want to. I think that and, the, well, to tie in, I think that the Bajoran argument is a very good argument for the reason oh, that yeah. they should not live there. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, but it's the Screens don't have, like, they have no counter argument, though. It's not like... It only seems uh, to be slightly religious. That's the only thing I could think of, is that they seem to have this prophecy that they're meant mm-hmm. to live there, but they don't hammer that point home. I think they mention it twice, and then they kind of drop it. Yeah, yeah, and it's never it's never a question of, like, you know, they, they kind of, at the end, um, uh, the leader there says that, oh, we could have helped you, and, and we could have turned around, et cetera, et cetera, but all of that is still speculation. There's, like, no... If there had been some sort of hard evidence that the screens were referring to as to how, why they thought it would be successful or just any sort of solid argument, I think it would have made the last third of the episode work a lot more. Because what ends up happening is they say they want to live there. The Bajorans give them a very good argument as to why they can't. And then she just says, but we want to. And then Kira says, nah, it's really not a good idea. And then she just turns on her. And it beca- yep. they become, you know, they have this huge falling out. Um, and I mean, if you, if, if they had addressed some of the stuff that they bring up in this episode previously about how, uh, this main woman is now in, is now being tasked with leading the screens to the next, um, part of their, uh, whatever. Yeah. Their journey, Um, their spiritual journey. Yeah. Part of their journey. Uh, and how much pressure that's being put on her and how she needs this to have, you know, like that kind of thing, that would have worked too. But there's really no argument there aside from I wanted to do this, you said no, and you betrayed me. You know, it, it's yeah. it's just, it's not, it doesn't have any any anything holding it up. No, I, I 100% agree. I think that the, it goes to back to the the ending. If they they seem to have just flipped the ending to where they wanted the Bajorans not to allow them to live there anymore. So, what it does is that the the Bajorans, in my opinion, have a very good argument. If this is if this episode is trying to convince you that taking in refugees is a like a a, a cause a noble cause that should happen, then the episode does a very bad job of making the refugees um a, like the the ones that are in the wrong or the the ones that are, like need that sort of assistance here. It's they they don't come across. Because Starfleet has found them a perfectly good place to go. Right. You know, it's not like the the Bajorans aren't just being uh, sort of xenophobic, which I thought the episode should have leaned into a little bit. Maybe the Bajoran religion wouldn't allow this to happen or something like mm-hmm. that. You could have had these two battling 
religions going on there where both of them which would be tie in very nicely into the middle east parable that we've got going you know it's like two battling ideologies that both want to live in the same space right and they don't do any of that the bajorans seem incredibly reasonable they're like hey listen if you come here you might start dying and we are in such bad shape we can't help you and we'd feel really bad if that were to happen like so maybe you should go to this other planet that's very nice and starfleet can protect you and everything like that and right. as you're saying, they don't have an argument for why the Screens would insist that they have to live there. And well, it's oh, keep going. No, that that's it's that's it's fundamentally just a very weak conflict at the heart of the episode. That like they're 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 doing a very annoying sort of Star uh, Star Trek episode where they're bringing up this topic, but they're not really examining what they're talking about beyond mm-hmm. just sort of a surface level examination of oh, refugees are coming in and we need to put them somewhere. No one, no one here has really a bad time except for the Koreans who seem slightly irritated that choice 1A can't be the, the one that they get. They have to take choice 1B. And that's not very good. And that's not very interesting as a viewer. Well, and it's, it's a little bit similar to the Khan situation from the original series, isn't it? Because at the end of the Khan episode, they basically give him what he wants. Right. And they <laughs> send him to a, 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 a planet that's totally fine. It's not like a shitty planet. It's just somewhere that's you know a little bit, <clears throat> a little bit hard on hard uh, hard to live on, but that's kind of what he wanted anyway, and they, he's they still pissed off yeah, about yeah. it. You know, yeah, right. Although I guess technically at the end of that episode he's kind of fine with it, but uh, he gets he gets pissed off like, eventually. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, you know I, I I wish I was hoping that they would have that thread to kind of really tie it together, just because there's. There is so much going on that's like <clears throat> trying to analyze the uh, concept of, of um, this mass amount of people uh, seeking asylum somewhere else from like a bunch of different angles all in 40 minutes. And it's difficult. Yeah. <laughs> they kind of, I mean, I understand that, you know, you got to hit a couple of them, but um, there wasn't. I, I think that works. That works easier if you've got a, a nice, um, solid hook there at the end to really drive it home. Well, I, I mean, I think that the uh, you they also shot themselves in the foot here by the first fifteen minutes dealing with the universal translator issue completely mm-hmm. delays the plot from kicking off. There's no the the delay where they can't understand them adds nothing to the overall story. And it only sort of opens the episode as kind of like this farcical, weird comedy mm-hmm. situation. And it doesn't make any sense why they had to do that. They should have, the cold open should have ended with them asking for asylum. You know, you need to kick this episode right, right off to get to the point of what you're talking about. And it's one of those weird cold opens where the, they just come in and, and Cisco's like, I'm Commander Cisco. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. And then it cuts. There's like no hook there to really grab you with. And then they I just noticed, waste oh, all this ahead, time. Sorry. They waste all this time going into not understanding what they are until they slowly understand, and then it's fifteen minutes into the episode before you even have a understanding of what the conflict is. I uh, I like I like the universal translator thing, um, if only because it reminded me. I, I don't know if we've talked about this before. Have you ever seen the Thirteenth Warrior? No, I with, don't think uh, so. Antonio Banderas. It's the uh, Michael Crichton's uh, plays this Spanish uh, warrior no, who no. I think is captured or <laughs> falls in league with the Vikings or something. And he clearly doesn't speak uh, Norwegian or whatever they're speaking. Um, but they kind of do this montage of him sitting around the fire listening to them talk. And as it goes, 
he keeps every now and then he's speaking English. Like, so we are seeing it through his language. And, uh, as, as the montage keeps going more and more of the things that they are saying start being English. Yep. And eventually they, you know, they all start speaking English, which is supposed to be him obviously understanding. Well, so I, it was similar to that, which I, which I like, yeah. um, did bring up a question though. So is Dr. Who does the same thing with the universal translator where it's like everybody's speaking in their own language, but we're all hearing it as though we understand it. Is that always how it's been in Star Trek? I don't think I've ever heard them mention it that way. Yeah, that's 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 always been a sort of software uh, thing that's running on really? the computer. Yeah, yeah. So everybody is supposed to be speaking in their own language, but it's coming across just as the way that you would understand it? Yeah, I, I think really? so. Really? Yeah. I, I, I guess I never... I feel like I've heard the term before. Maybe I guess I guess I just never really thought that that's what it was doing. That's interesting. Wonder yeah, how that I, works. I guess the maybe <laughs> I was thinking of it as uh, I d- tended to think of it whenever they were talking to somebody on the view screen, it was translating. But no, because it must work. Because when they come over and they talk to them, it's fine. Which uh, I guess my question would be: How does anyone learn to speak anything if these things are on all the time? Or maybe they're yeah. only on starships or something like that. Because if the universal translator was running all the time. You wouldn't be able to learn how to speak English. <laughs> I think that's that's like too much biology or something going on there. But yeah, that's, yeah. That's... And I mean, if you wanted to get really technical about it, every time that they go like, "Oh, do you want this Klingon food?" Gah! It should be like, "Do would you like some Klingon pizza?" Yeah. Would you like this uh, Royale with cheese or whatever? That yeah, comes but across. that's you know clearly does none of this matters. <laughs> um, but uh, as far as the cold open goes, I agree. Um, as much as I kind of liked the. Uh, universal translator sequence. Um, it doesn't really add anything. And the cold open itself, you're just talking about, you were just talking about the last like 30 seconds of the cold open. This is a long cold open. And the only thing that happens is uh, Kira has to go tell uh, Bajor and Kenny G to start playing something <laughs> that people can dance to. And it really is like, uh, and that guy doesn't come in again until he drops off a mixtape with the she, uh, the screen woman. That I, I don't, I don't even I, know why he does that. I liked that character until he gives a present that is him. Like he gives himself as a present. It's like, wow, what a cocksucker this guy is. But, uh, but yeah, the beginning, I was like, what the hell's going on here? I, I because I was, I was kind of rolling with it because again, I like Kira, so I was kind of interested to see what was going on. But she wasn't really doing anything. Except they were talking about how she was arguing with this council about, like, irrigation or something. Yeah, the only reason I understand that to be existing is that they want to show that there's strife on Bajor, and maybe it wouldn't be a good idea to introduce people to it. Maybe I'm giving the writing too much credit there, but I, that was the only reason that I understood that that scene was happening. Yeah, and I mean, that's fine if you, like, cut right from there to them coming out of the wormhole. But it's like the strife on Bajor, then she has to go talk to Quark, who is pissed off because people are loving the uh elevator music too much yep. rightfully she pissed has to t- i think rightfully What's pissed. That? I, oh yeah I, I, yeah I think Quark well, has I mean, a, a good argument i guess he i guess that uh that guy was forced upon him because otherwise i was going to say well that's his problem for booking him because he should know his audience better yeah than we've never met that character before so the I, it seems like kira did him a favor by getting him a job there yeah yeah it would be it would have been great if he was like, You want me to play something people can, you know, can dance to and he, she's like, Yeah, and he's like, All right. And then he just starts laying down like uh free bird or something. Like something like <laughs> no, it's really be careless unexpected. whisper. It's gotta be yeah, like there you go. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, or he just starts ripping out uh, I Still Believe from uh, uh, Lost Boys. Yep. He yeah. tears off his shirt, and he's just got, like, <laughs> chains on underneath it, and he's all oiled up. <laughs> yeah, that guy... That, I, I mean, I wrote down in my notes I have... Uh, it's a weird episode that has good scenes that doesn't really hold together. All the yeah. issues brought up, sexism, refugees, beige, or suffering, would have been a good focus, but the episode focuses on nothing. I have a list of, like, good scenes. Uh, which is the Bajoran interview with the aliens, the final 10 minutes, the uh, Dominion discussion, bad scenes, the music guy, Quirk and Odo talking about Nog, which takes 10 minutes and does absolutely nothing, and then the ships shooting the other ship. Um, oh, it's the reverse, isn't it? It's Odo and Nog talking about Quirk. Oh, yes. Yeah, so, well, and then Quirk kicks Nog out, and Quirk and Odo talk about oh, that's weapons right. dealing yeah. or something, which yeah. it, it falls into our, they always want to have a scene with those two. This one just mm-hmm. felt particularly pointless. There's no reason mm-hmm. for that to be happening. A lot of, uh, I, sh- I should say, not much for Odo to do in this episode. No, except um, they expose him as a little bit of, like, he, he is, it is possible to overwhelm Odo, is what you learn. Yeah. He gets stressed yeah. out about all the Bit of a control that. freak. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I, I mean, I think that the, before we move on, I just, I really wanted to hit the point of the, the refugee thing is a really good idea for this show. And I think yeah. it makes perfect sense with the wormhole. I think it makes perfect sense with what we're going to learn is going on on the other side of the Gamma Quadrant. I think it makes perfect sense of um, a story that Star Trek could tell. I think it runs into a big problem. Being set in space, three million people on a planet is not a big deal, really. Mm, yeah. um, you know, it's not like they're all trying to fit on the space station. They, you, you'd have to. It's very difficult to get a sense of this is too many people when you can easily find people a planet to live on. Uh, so the 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 needs of needing to protect yourself from refugees doesn't really get a fair shake in this kind of story. And I don't mm-hmm. think Star Trek would be really interested in telling that. It would be more interested in sort of helping the refugees. But I uh, I thought the putting them onto the the station thing was kind of interesting because it's like. <laughs> Why even let any of them onto the station at that point? Because they've got three million people, but then like eight hundred of them get to come onto the station for like a day and a half. Yeah, and they don't buy anything. It's not like they're yeah, doing. They just, it's not like they're doing yeah. anything. Yeah, yeah. I don't, but I, I mean, don't, obviously, uh, obviously, they. You know, the the point is to show the tension that builds. Be you know, whatever. But yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I think I think if I had to guess, I would think that situation is was probably a writing problem that they had to. Uh, work out because it's like you want to have them on the station where you can see the influx of the people uh, not causing havoc but being an inconvenience which might breed uh, xenophobia and that kind of stuff but you also want to have so many people that it would be an inconvenience to put them on a planet. Because if it was just like, all right, the, the station holds 7,000 people total, right? Yep. So if it was like <clears throat> three ships worth of like 500 people, you could put them literally on any planet and it would not be a problem. You could drop them on Bajor, no problem. Yeah. Um, I even feel you could do that with three million. Like in an- I Honestly, yeah, I think you could. But I think, I think it's an easier sell story-wise, sure. three million than like 500 or a thousand or something yes. like that. Yeah, yeah. I and I, I think that the the refugee story is just not fleshed out enough. There's, there's no debate between these two sides because the Bajorans have a very good argument not to do it. The Screens don't really have any argument whatsoever as to why it should be this. And it, it, there's no, there's no bad outcome for the Screens here. You know, which make, which makes the ending all the less satisfying because it's like why are you upset 
Like, right. there's no reason for you to be upset. You got this thing. Cisco even has a line. I'm not sure I can help you find whatever they they call their fan, their um sort of like promised land. He's like, but I can't Quintana, find your planet. Like yeah, Quintana, Jose, something Jose like that. Quintana. Yeah. So that's pretty much uh, the issue that I have there. Um, and to tie into the refugee thing, Bajoran instability uh, continues to make very little sense in the world of replicators. Um, yes. So I feel they really should have written something in as to the Bajorans being a little bit of Luddites or something and not wanting the technology to be influencing mm-hmm. them because it's very hard for me to have all these scenes of Bajorans talking about people starving and bad winters are killing the crops. And it's like Cisco, while they're talking, is walking over to this hole in the wall that magically gives him a cup of coffee whenever he wants yeah. it. Yeah. And I feel they really should have, they should have written the Bajorans to be more in a hard spot where they want to take control of the station, but they also hate technology at the same mm. time. And it, that would it, be uh, it, it reminds me of, uh, did you ever see Elysium? I think so. Yeah. Who's in that? The, uh, Matt Damon, where he gets yes. that mech suit, like bolted onto him. Yep. It has a similar problem that Elysium had for me, which is like, they set up this world in Elysium where <clears throat> everyone on earth is like, uh, poor and dying and sick and they can't get any medical attention and uh, everybody who's floating in the uh, crazy rich people space station has these machines that will just um, immediately fix any problem that you have Um, and there's this massive tension and you know everybody hates everybody else and I was thinking the whole time just install like a hundred of those machines and you'll be fine Right. <laughs> yeah. Take that technology down to the earth and just give them like eight of them or something, yep. and every everything gets better for everybody involved. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I've never, for the Star Trek angle, I've never come across a convincing argument as to why, even if they send down five replicators, that should feed everybody, like in their major yeah. areas. Like, there's if you just run the thing nonstop, put a put a dilithium reactor on that thing and just run them nonstop, and that that'd be fine. Here's a question. I. I was only thinking about this because I, I found it to be slightly irresponsible when I was thinking about it in modern, like, realistic terms. Uh, when they're walking the screens around the ship at the beginning, and then Cisco's like, hold on a second, and he goes over the replicator and brings back, like, you know... Uh, Burnt sticks, yeah. Yeah, like fish sticks or something. <laughs> and he's like, here, eat this. And in my head, I was like, whoa, you don't know what these people are, like, allergic to. Yep. Yep. What might, but then I was thinking, well, if it's a replicator, then everything is synthetic. So does that mean that food allergies are not a thing? It must mean that food allergies are not a thing, right? Yeah, I guess it depends how accurately they're reproduced. I guess you could be allergic to a synthetic thing. Yeah, that's so true. Ooh, that's interesting. Yeah. You'd have to be, you'd have to, yeah, maybe they should have written an episode about like a food allergy due to the replicator. It's just everyone gets like mild diarrhea or something. For the entire <laughs> or like show. O'Brien. O'Brien should be allergic to the food replicator, so he has to eat like K rations or something. Yeah. <laughs> so he's just like horribly, just another thing to make him gr- uh, grumpy all the time. So like Keiko is is making beautifully replicated like Asian cuisine, and he's like eating out of one of those you know bags with the powdered powdered ice cream in it. It's just a lot a lot of things of like. Like shields are dropping and like his stomach is gurgling in the background or whatever and just <laughs> stuff like that. We need we, to add more power to the to the engine room and he's in the bathroom <laughs> just shitting his brains out. 
We haven't had a, a lot of O'Brien. He does a, he does just a lot of sort of delivering information while touching the keyboard in this episode. So he, we haven't seen uh, much of him recently. He, but- I really enjoyed him in this episode uh, only because he didn't do a goddamn thing. Where he was, he was like, that he, there's a certain point where he walks in and uh, or, or he's sitting down and I think Kira walks in and he says something to her and then she like either answers him or ignores him and he just kind of sits there quietly is like all right yeah <laughs> do whatever back to my data entry i guess yeah, so when he, he, he tells her that quark is looking for her and she's like oh and o'brien's just like well back to back to this role yes yeah. <laughs> i mean the other the major scene that i can think of is the uh the op scene where the the female screen is explaining the situation and they're all sitting around it um o'brien is there Mm-hmm. They bring in another, like, it's another sort of tangential, meaningless thing. They bring in the fact that this society is dominated by women. Mm. And, you know, it's like, I'm in a rock and hard place here. Like, if, when I say that I don't like that, I'm sure a criticism would be like, well, in this alien uh, universe where there's so many kinds of societies, of course, some of them are going to be matriarchal. And I'd say, of course. Mm. And, like, it, I, I would totally understand that happening. However... It's inefficient in Star Trek episodes when you bring up stuff like that, and all it does is serves to waste five minutes of screen time. Right. Yeah. It's I like, mean, you think if you're thinking about it purely economy of storytelling, then it's completely useless. Like right. it's it plays it plays into nothing for the rest of the episode. Like right. even yeah. in the relationship that she has with Kira, there's no except except for the part where 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 Kira basically says she hasn't had sex in a long time. <laughs> And then she's like, "Well, you should get two husbands then." Um, <laughs> you got to catch aside up. Aside from yeah, aside from that, like, there's really it doesn't. I don't know. There's no the the only other time it really comes up, but it doesn't come up in a substantial way. Is when uh, um after afterwards when I can't, I can't remember if it's before that scene or after that scene where uh, the screen leader there is sitting with her. Uh, other compatriots and they're like you got to lead us yeah yeah um so yeah i don't know if it was just they did it for the sake of doing it or if they did it because maybe it made her relationship with kira a little bit easier because kira isn't kira kind of like de facto a bajoran leader i can't remember she i mean she's the she's the, she's got a lot of pull right yeah she's the representative to starfleet from the bajoran government basically yeah maybe maybe they were thinking along the lines of that like it's it would be easier to uh have her have a relationship with another female leader who is making hard decisions for her people kind of thing i don't know maybe but they, they don't even have the angel one thing where it's like the matriarchy is like an abusive matriarchy like they yeah, I mean it's it's maybe it's unfair for the screens that the women are all in control, but it's you never see them like mistreating the men or having like disrespectful attitudes towards men. No, they, it just seems to be fine. Yeah, they they just like yeah, it's just women like to basically be in charge and the men like to fight each other. Uh, that's the way it is. And maybe if you know, you'd have to re- rewrite the whole thing. But if the Bajorans were like a patriarchy, maybe it would make a little bit more sense of the clash between the two cultures or something. But yep, it yeah. doesn't it doesn't have. It's just, it's really annoying when, when the episodes do things like that, because when I'm watching it, and especially in a show like this one, where you're trying to get across this big idea that you should really be focusing on this refugee aspect, you're just wasting mm-hmm. time by introducing all this other stuff into it. Yeah. Um, um, I, yeah, I think that's, 
Yeah, it's 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 weird. I mean, I, I I agree. I don't think it was necessary to do it. I mean, I'm not I'm not pissed that they did do it because you know, like you know, like you said, it's not it's not bad that they did it. It just it's economy of storytelling wise, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, or build it, it just into a part of the story. Yeah, yeah, and it does, and it seems to be an, just another symptom of this episode. Of it's like a bunch of ideas just kind of thrown together. Yeah. The uh, most egregious of which being. Uh, the oh shit! We realize that nothing has actually happened in this episode. Let's have someone steal a ship and then get blown up off screen. To- totally pointless. It's also oh so God. melodramatic that I was cringing a little bit during that. Where he- she's like, "Tomo, Tomo, turn back, turn your and engines off." Even, it's not even like they have a scene because he doesn't respond to the communications. <laughs> it's just her yelling into. No- it's like it's like a play. Yeah. It's like watching a play and then like having. It's literally watching a play and, and so you get like three people. Looking at a screen, one of them's yelling, and then nothing's coming back, and then someone else has to go, the ship has exploded. <laughs> Cisco's whispering, tell him to turn his engines off. He'll listen to you, just turn, turn your engines off. <laughs> yeah, and it's just, and, and at the end, they also kind of pussy out where the Bajorans don't even really kill them. You know, they, they're like, yeah. oh, we, we fired a warning shot, and it accidentally triggered their, like, plasma leak or something. It's like, at least have the Bajorans kill them, you know, so that there's a little bit of tension between these two, but it's just... It's an unfortunate accident that's so, so horrible and melodramatic and really has nothing. It adds nothing. We don't like that character, who is uh, Walter Koenig's son, actually. Yeah. Um, who killed himself, I guess. Also um, known as, uh, is it Boner from yes. Growing Pains? Yeah, he's Boner from Growing Pains. Yeah. <laughs> and um, he, uh, he also um, was in one of the first fan films I've ever seen. Oh really? Batman Dead End, where he played the Joker, and he was actually a really good Joker. It's a, if you could find it, check it out if you haven't seen it, because it uh, it does not end the way you think it's going to end. I'll put it that way. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's pretty much that's pretty much it. The only other thing is that this is the second mention of the Dominion. You missed the first mention of the Dominion, which was in Rules of Acquisition, which was a uh, Ferengi-centric episode where the Ferengi were trying to set up trading outposts in the Gamma Quadrant, and they came across an alien species that said. If you want to trade in the Gamma Quadrant, you have to deal with the Dominion. And that was the only time that we've heard them mentioned before then. They're brought up here as uh, a, spe- a, a, a group that have conquered uh, other races in the Gamma Quadrant and sort of enslaved them. And that's pretty much it. They play some dramatic music and end out. I'm so- going to be really upset if the Dominion shows up and they're not just like a Queensryche cover band. I know, right? Like I feel like if they ever put this out on Blu-ray, they should have an option where anytime someone says Dominion, it's followed by like a guitar squeal. <laughs> just a guitar riff. Just wow, Dominion. It's a. What do you think of the name for for that? Like I know that they when they were sitting there, right? They're like, okay, over the course of season two, we're going to introduce the adversaries that are going to go on for the rest of the series. We don't want to spell out too much about them, so let's give them a pretty, like emotionally driven name mm-hmm. you know what i mean like the the name has to inspire feelings of not goodness basically yeah and i but i it can't I, be too on the nose right and i i feel dominion is actually slightly maybe dominion isn't too on the nose i feel it's slightly on the nose i feel like they could have come up with a better name for them but it is what it is at this point i i like it i think it's better than uh <clears throat> One of the things that I hate more than anything is when people come up with, or when shows or stories come up with like 
really abstract names for people or groups. Like the circle like, uh, earlier in the season? Yeah, or like, you know, uh, the others or some shit like that where it's like you just didn't commit to coming up with a name for them. Yeah. You're trying to keep it mysterious, but it's like uh, we can't handle with those who cannot be seen, you know, that kind of shit. Yeah, Harry um, Potter, those who shall not be named or whatever. Well, that's that's different because, you know, that's – He has a point I think that works. That. But, you know, yeah. it's – I just don't like it when they're kind of wishy – it's my same problem that I have with uh, um, uh, the, the the idea of profits where sure. it's just like it's it's – I understand in the context of the story, it is literally prophets and a prophecy, but it's that kind of stuff to me always screams like, eh, we didn't really figure out what we wanted to call this and what we're going to do with it, so we'll just make it something kind of vague. Yes, uh, yeah. Dominion, I think, is a pretty good name. Um, it's kind of vague, but it, again, it also, like you were saying, it it, it uh, uh, brings up Sounds clear... Sounds yeah. Yeah, negative overtones. Um, it's... <laughs> Uh, I I kind of feel like in the in in the in the first script that they were in, the writer might have written in like the empire and then wrote a note like <laughs> get thesaurus, yeah. find synonym for empire. Um, yes, yeah, yeah. I, I, but I, I think it's a good choice. I think it. May, I don't know. Would you would you uh, prefer something like more specific or like an alien race name or something? No, I don't think so. Uh, but you'll like. Uh, we, we will learn the Dominion are a group of species. So uh, they have to give them like an overriding name. They say that in this episode that one of the members of the Dominion are what conquered her planet. Um, oh, I see. Like, so in this situation, then I would have liked it a lot less if it had been like the Council. You yes. know, like that that kind of like vague bullshit name. Yes. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I mean, we'll you'll get we'll learn the names of everyone eventually uh, of the different species, but. Yeah, it's I, I, I think I, I like it more as it goes on. Like I don't mind the Dominion eventually, but it, it definitely just feels very writerly to me that they wanted yeah. to make sure that people realized that this was not a good thing, even though they're talking about this group invading other uh, planets and stuff. But we'll it get is to fun. It. it is fun to think about the ways that they refer to them and just replace it with like a guy's name. Yeah. So it's like there was we were driven out, we were set free when our captives were defeated by Chris. By, by the Seths. By yeah, the, the, the Jumps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll we'll have to uh we'll get to it. There's one more episode where they're mentioned and then we meet the Dominion at the end of the second season. Um so I guess that's it. We're gonna that's take a when, break. That's when our people were freed by the Sapersteins. <laughs> What's that guy who got uh is it the Rothschilds, that DC politician who got in trouble for they like a Jewish conspiracy? theory like that the rod oh, yeah i think they called the rothschilds or something <laughs> yes like that. yeah part of the pentaverit yeah <laughs> sure so uh we are going to take a break play an audio clip me and claire are going to come back read some patron thoughts give our thoughts and then call it a day i just stopped by to wish you luck andre long too Hanik, i still believe this is the best choice for bajor and for you you still believe we would have been a burden to your people Yes. I think you've made a terrible mistake. All of you. Maybe we could have helped you. Maybe we could have helped each other. The Screens are farmers, Kira. You have a famine on your planet. Perhaps we could have made that peninsula bloom again. We'll never know, will we? 
Fifty years of Cardassian rule have made you all frightened and suspicious. I feel sorry for you. All right, so here we go with some uh, patient thoughts. As always, if you guys support the show at patreon.com slash the file, you can give uh, a couple dollars a month. You get a bunch of stuff. You can listen to extra podcasts. You can also leave thoughts about upcoming episodes and we'll read them on the show and respond to them. So Holly McLaughlin writes, Sanctuary, I love finally seeing how the universal translators work. So yeah, I think you're right, Clay. This is the first time we've seen them actually like physically be working in, in a mm. real sense. Um, in Babel, in season one, they all lost the ability to communicate, but they just said that the universal translators weren't working. So Mark Keiko says, still way behind, about to start DS9 season one, but I reviewed the synopsis for Sanctuary. It's incredibly relevant and I guess always will be. The current refugee crisis of the Syrians, Afghans, Iraqis, Seems like there's always people fleeing from someplace. Black Panther had a line about refugees. I haven't seen Black Panther, so I can't verify this. Something to the effect of refugees bring refugee problems. Uh, fear of the other. We don't like you. Empathy burns out. Sure, we care, but empathy has limits. Which is, I think... I was just going to say, I think his uh, reading of the summary is probably better than if he had watched the episode. <laughs> right. I, if, if the... If the... <laughs> I don't think I don't think they're gonna hit all the beats you want them to hit in this episode. Unfortunately, <laughs> you'll, be, you'll be disappointed when when you get to the episode. Unless of, uh, unless there's that big uh, unless you're really into the politics involved of uh, coating somebody with stink vapor. Yes, yeah, <laughs> or reacting very powerfully to a dress that you don't want, but reacting in a way as if you can't believe that that's the dress that you want. It that doesn't make any mm-hmm. sense. Kyle Barrett writes. Sanctuary, the political exploration of refugees is good, but it feels like it's too little too late. The potential move to Bajor is introduced 32 minutes into the episode, and the accompanying debate is crammed into the last 10 minutes when it should have been the majority of the episode. Also, who cleans up all the skin flakes off the floor of DS9? Are there cleaners, futuristic Roombas, or does Rom get on his knees with a dustpan and brush? These are the questions that the show needs to answer. That was a particularly gross detail. <laughs> it's it's unnecessary, right? It's yeah. it's all these unnecessary details. I'd I'd call this I'd retitle this episode unnecessary details. Well, that one that one was in the con in the context of of Quark reacting kind of prejudiced towards the uh, the Screens and what they were doing there. So I don't know. That one's that one's okay for me. I think is it uh, yeah? Because I, I mean, it does it does bring up a lot of other questions though. Like yeah, okay, he's calling out the skin flakes that they're leaving around, but what the hell's falling out of his ears? Right, exactly. The Q-tips that they're they're going through. I, I think that the... See, I, I prefer the character... To me, it rings more true that Quark was more upset that they weren't buying things from yeah. him. You know? Yeah. I, I feel I feel that's appropriate. This, the skin thing, I just I felt it was a little bit odd. Uh, Stephen Cobb writes, Sanctuary, ugh, the immigrant allegory is so over the top it's painful to watch. Notice that Boner from Growing Pains was in this one. It was fun to see men being ignored and being called too emotional in a great play on sexism. There was a brilliant scene where they're all around the ops table and Cisco gives a look behind the alien leader's back to O'Brien and Odo. It's hilarious. He does. He rolls his eyes when she says uh, that she doesn't she doesn't hate men or something. And Cisco rolls his eyes at those two. Neil Brennan, Sanctuary. Love the continued slow burn of the Dominion introduction. Love the translator bit. Love the moral question of the final third with its obvious modern equivalence. Did not love the weird laughing over a dress. At the end, I really wanted the screens to declare that they'd be back to take Bejor at some point. Yeah, I uh, Neil seems like he liked the episode a bit more than I did. I mean, I, it, it's kind of that thing. I, I like all the pieces. I just don't like the cohesive whole. Uh, that's Matt, interesting. I don't think I caught that look that they give. That's kind of <laughs> that's that's fascinating. Where it's like you're going out of your way to present this <clears throat> different culture 
that has a positive view of women running everything, but then you also have your male characters go, <laughs> like, what, what's, what are we supposed to be taking from that, guys? <laughs> yeah, it's, to me, when I, when I saw it, I went back and watched it because of Neil's comment. I wanted to verify it, but it's a, um, it definitely seems like it's an actor choice. Uh, mm-hmm. like it, it, it probably wasn't written into the, into the script, but, uh, Avery Brooks definitely sort of rolls his eyes when she's talking about it. It's very funny. I don't know. I, I now that I'm thinking about it, yeah, it gets into this weird thing where it's like, yeah, I, I, I would believe that that would be a reaction that they might give because I've seen people give that reaction before. Yeah, but they're giving it to your main Star Trek characters who are supposed to be like really open minded about shit. So it seems kind of disingenuous. It's a weird thing where it's like if you're looking at solely from writer from the writer's point of view, you could make the argument that he's undercutting this concept of women running everything. He's undercutting inequality. Right. Which is because they are from a totally egalitarian equal society. Mm hmm. They're the the characters rolling their eyes are more rolling their eyes at sexism in a way you know what i mean oh I, oh okay uh, yeah yeah that's i guess that's what i mean i guess it depends on how you look at it cuz if you're looking at the uh women run everything because men are too uh men are too um emotional yeah. and then having the men all roll their eyes you could very you could very much read that as uh the if you wanted to you could read that as the men rolling their eyes because you know, you know, stupid women kind of thing. They're, but, they're they're proving her point in a way. Yeah, but yeah. you could also look at it as them rolling their eyes because they are past that sort of sexist delineation of stuff. Yes. So I guess it's a that's that's fascinating. That's a really interesting way to to, to look at that. It's true. You could interpret that in in a modern a modern interpretation would probably get angry at him for doing it. The in yes, the context I, of the show, yeah. it's fair on some level, which is funny. I think that's the. I think that's probably the best way to put it. A modern interpretation would would not be happy with that scene. Right. <laughs> Even though it makes total sense in the context of the show. Yes. Like, on, on, the, yeah. on their terms. Yeah, it's interesting. Matthew Rotz uh, writes, "Sanctuary, just get them some cortisone ten. These aliens make me want to go over and rip those flakes right off." Anyway, the story. Well, it was okay. I do think it was kind of obvious, natural that they would say that Bejo was home, more akin to saying, "No, duh, the first planet." But I also had feelings that this story was akin to the Space Irish episode up the long ladder from TNG (laughs) in many respects from the sensible women to the layabout fighting men. Interesting. That's true. I did like the conflict that Kira felt with the conflict of religions and self-preservation. Very slight mention of the Dominion. Uh, But you think that maybe an entire race's fleeing of the quadrant may raise an eyebrow. Nah. And in a long, honorable Star Trek tradition, we never hear from this race again. I wish that um, Space Irish episode had cribbed a scene from Blazing Saddles where they're like, okay, it's fine. Everybody can come. The Ferengi, the Klingons, the Romulans, but not the Irish. Well, just just wait until uh, later in the Dominion War where the Space Irish proved to be the most effective ground troops that the Federation has to deploy. <laughs> um, uh, Joint Mango writes, rest in peace, Andrew Koenig. Who, uh, he, did, uh, he did kill himself, unfortunately. Uh, he, yeah, he played... I, was, I looked in that, um, into that very briefly. It seemed pretty pretty ominous i guess he was uh had some clinical depression and he like canceled or missed a bu- or turned down a bunch of jobs and like yep. sold everything in his house and he just disappeared and that was it yep yep and they found him at a park i think yeah uh nick sergi 
Sanctuary. Much as I love the show and as much as I love the premise for the episode, they still aren't landing a lot of these episodes. Universal Translator actually isn't a very effective way of helping the drama and just takes up a lot of time. The writers spend more time trying to push its message with a heavy hand than actually telling a good story of an episode. I'll call it a miss. Don't fear, Clay. The show gets better, believe me. And that's it. Thank you very much, guys, for uh, uh, leaving your feedback. It's nice to get these uh, thoughts going on after we've uh, talked about it. It gives us a little bit of additional perspective and everything. Although, uh, we haven't had many... Out- I don't think we've had many episodes that have been sort of uh, sort of a schism of opinion about them. Everyone seems to be mm. kind of on the same page, which is interesting for how far we're into it we are. Um, let's see here. We've done that. Oh, Clay, we'll give it our rating. Well, there's so much stuff to run through at the end of these episodes now. So we'll give it our rating. I'm going to give it a two out of five because I think the the concept is solid. It's like a terrible execution of what they were trying to do. So I'll give it a two. Yeah, I would say hi too. Like I didn't, um, <clears throat> I didn't find it difficult to watch. Um, I don't. I wouldn't recommend it though. So I, yeah, I'd give it a high two. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, thank you very much for listening. Uh, thank you very much for visiting the sites. I, I fixed up the uh, the Penske Podcast website. It got it got hacked, malicious or uh, compromised, as the Google likes to call it. So I had oh, to clean shit. that up, and I updated everything. It's got new pictures. It's got new stuff. You can go and check that out. You can go to patreon.com slash the Penske file if you want to support the show. A couple dollars a month. Super helpful. Super appreciated. You get extra podcasts. Real Ripe and Real Rotten. Check that out. It's our movie podcast. Clay, do you have anything you want to talk about? Uh, my book Poser is out. If you guys feel like picking it up from Waxwork Comics, you can get that at their website. It comes with a seven-inch record. It's a nice, uh, charming little kid-friendly uh, horror slasher story. It's not kid-friendly. Don't don't believe me when I say that. <laughs> um, and yeah, I'm gonna be at uh, Awesome Con in Washington D.C. on March, the weekend of March 30th. So if you happen this to be in the week. area, swing by, say hi, and uh, you know. I promise I won't be too much of a jerk to you and yeah, act like well, too much of a giant star. All the all the when DC I meet, when I meet our one fan, <laughs> the one fan from DC who is uh, yeah. shelving himself out right now to get out, out there to see you. Um, Ten dollar patrons, thank you very much, guys. You always get your plug at the end, and uh, you are the people who will t- potentially be guesting on the show. That's the new change to that tier, but you have to let me know. I'm putting it on you. You guys have to contact me. Um, just don't if you feel like you're bothering me that's a normal human response but you honestly are not bothering me if you want to remind me about that stuff so vincent adultman stephen cobb nathan elliott uh ewan tibbetts decker sebastiani holly mclaughlin neil brennan carrier mobility doug valcamp michael pond bradley killens rune venler jay stanley mike burnett matthew n ross ben douglas kyle barrett joint mango Tarek latif thank you very much if you're on the show you get 30 seconds to say what you like about the episode, and then you have three questions you can ask us, and that's it. That's we don't right. want you clogging up the airwaves. <laughs> I'm just going to cut your mic off, and there'll be just long, awkward pauses <laughs> where me and Claire are talking over you. Well, I, I really hope, I would really like it for someone to do what people do on sports radio, where they're like, yeah, I've been, I've been waiting for like an hour, so I really appreciate this. Long time, first time. Um, so do you think that this weekend they have a pretty good chance of winning? Thanks, guys. I'll take the answer off the air. <laughs> I appreciate it more than the, uh, we listen to a, a lot of NPR radio and it's mm-hmm. just, you know, it's, it's probably just the people listening to it, but they, they just, they don't ask their question and get the fuck out of the way. They're like, yeah. they keep trying to interject themselves into the answer in some way. And it's like, guy, just ask your question and get the hell out of there. I've always wondered why they they don't switch over to like just straight up 
text or, or Twitter or something. Because, I mean, yeah. I guess it's nice that you get people on the air. But a lot of times people, you know, they wait forever and then they want to – their questions don't always end up being – a lot of times aren't very good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, or you just get into a shouting match with them, at least and on sports radio they, anyway. They always, say, they always go like, Tom, you're on the air. Go ahead with your question. He goes, am I on the air? Yeah. <laughs> or, like, or, uh, or they go, uh, Tom, you're on the air. And they go, hey, guys. Yeah. <laughs> no, Tom, do you have a question? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just wondering, uh, uh, first of all, you guys are so off base. You're a bunch of idiots. I can't believe that you think that. But what I want to say is I think that they should start this guy at first base. What do you guys think? I'll take my answer off the air. You guys are great. See you next time. Yeah. That's that's pretty much what radio is. That's why podcasts are great, because I can just cut out all your terrible comments, people. But no. Yeah, and we can edit what you say to benefit us. Seriously, if you uh, the $10 patrons, get in touch if you want to be on the show. The space Guess is what, limited. guys? This podcast is part of the Dominion, so get used to it. <laughs> that's right. Uh, let's see. Do we have anything else? No, I think that's it. So it's uh, non-sequitur time. I guess I can go first if you're, uh, you need to think of something, Clay. But... Um, Every, let's see here. Everyone, the the news is all about Facebook, uh, and because of their Cambridge Analytica thing, and mm-hmm. Facebook is generally horrible. So I, I am wondering if people get a benefit from the podcast having a Facebook page. Just kind of let me know. I am, I, 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 if I don't respond to you on Facebook, it's not because I'm ignoring you. It's more that I don't want to go onto Facebook. So I might just post things from off outside of Facebook. So. If that's how you get your podcast feed, feel free to continue using Facebook, obviously. But uh, I might just not respond to you on Facebook. So that's that's kind of it. It's kind of a downer of a uh, non sequitur, but that, that is what it is. Glad you yeah, have I've I've always wondered. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I've always wondered what the benefit of having like a bunch of different things is. I feel like I'm kind of coming around the other way. There's where, no benefit. Like, yeah, like when I started my web comic years ago, I had made sure. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I had the Facebook page, I had the Twitter, I had the website, I, you know, everything I could think of, uh, Tumblr, everything, I would put it out there and everything. But I feel like it just makes you harder to find a lot of the times. It just splits um, the audience. Yeah, it splits the audience and it makes the pe- the number of people you have to respond to not focused, so it makes it more difficult to do it. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think, I don't know, and also I hate Facebook. I, like, I, I'm really, I used to... I used to like it a lot, but the past like handful of years, it's just turned into a shit show. There's only so so many times I can watch like the same video, meme of, videos, yeah, yeah, or just like listen to people. <laughs> it's man, you ever want to know what your extended family, like older relatives, can be like? Whoa, yep, boy. Yep. Uh, I mean, most of mine aren't too bad, but like I've I've seen I've seen some from friends of ours where they just uh, where we've talked about it, and it's just like, man, for whatever reason, Facebook just allows you, <laughs> g- given being given this like platform to say whatever the fuck you want, um, gives you this seems to give you this license to just be a horrible person. I say that as someone who's talking on a podcast right now, <laughs> but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, with great power comes great responsibility. You know what I mean? I mean, my the the worst. I don't have many friends on it because I deleted the old account. I reactivated it just to get the podcast page up. But mm-hmm. the there's a correlation between there. There's a, like a level of I, I sound like I'm some sort of elitist. There's a level of like intelligence where the people that I know on Facebook who are below that, I don't think they actually fully realize that what they're typing gets seen by people on some yeah. level. Like yeah. I, I, some, I have some friends from back home who 
like never graduated high school and they are the most obnoxious people on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Like it's like, and I like, they're totally different in person with them. So it, it's almost like, I don't feel that they really understand that this is a representation of them on some level. Like they, they, they almost treat it like a diary more than anything. Yeah. Yeah. I've, it's, um, it's weird. I actually looked the other day cause I don't think I ever really looked at how many friends on Facebook I have. I only have like 350 friends compared to a lot of people. That's very low. Yeah. Very low. And cause I, I like to, to kind of curate my Facebook friends a little bit more because you know, I, Twitter, Twitter's like a, a, a Twitter is like a high school cafeteria where yeah. you can say whatever you want, but someone might be walking by when you say it and they're going to, you know, give you shit for it, even if what you said isn't bad. Um, <laughs> not not that I'm dropping N-bombs on Facebook or anything, but... Uh, Owen Benjamin um, over here. But, like, Facebook is, like, for me anyway, it's a more personal group of people that I know, so the stuff I talk about there is going to be stuff that is not necessarily stuff that I want to talk about in a business sense. Yep. Or a... Because uh, <clears throat> I use Twitter, you know, yeah, yeah professionally more, more than anything. And I... So I even... A lot of, uh, like, professional creators and stuff who have... Um, sent me friend requests. If I have never met you, I am not going to accept that request. Sure. Um, with some, I mean, you know, if it depends on who it is, but most of the time, if like, if you have like, if I have like one friend in common and I kind of know who you are, I don't, I'm not going to accept it unless I've met you face to face. Yep. Yeah. Um, I think it's the way to go. And, uh, even with that few number of people in my Facebook bubble, there is still so much garbage. Yeah. People just have so much, so many shitty things to say <laughs> that they feel like, for some reason, you want to hear. Yeah. And uh, or uh, the uh, algorithm, uh, the algorithms are saying that you want to hear this. Yeah. Basically, yeah. Uh, a buddy of ours uh, sent me a video that his um, father-in-law put up after all of the uh, the NFL like kneeling stuff happened, and it was like this really poorly shot iPhone <laughs> video of him. <laughs> speaking into camera directly at the Patriots organization saying how disappointed he was with the NFL and then burning a shitload of his Patriots gear. Yeah, sure. And it's just like, what is this what you're doing with your retirement? I don't like, only who, post those videos to the patrons on Patreon. You guys can also check out my <laughs> my Facebook page. Can we we, we got to figure out we got to figure out something we can do that with. We'll do a video <laughs> like that where we're burning like uh, Star I don't Trek know. memorabilia. Yeah. Uh, so after after our um after season two of Discovery, we'll just have to have a mass burning of all of our favorite stuff that we paid so much money for just because we don't like the way the season's going. Oh yeah, I'll have to. Uh, Order CBS All Access, print out the receipt that I get, and then burn that or something. I guess, to yeah, show my it's 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 really fascinating to me. The longer I spend on there, the more it's just like there's a level of, um, uh, what's the word? Um, not, Animus, not, anger. Yeah, anger, but there's the uh, obliviousness to what yeah, you're doing and like yeah. how people are going to receive it, and also like with that situation, the like the burning of everything. It's like, well, you're kind of. You're not really thinking everything through here. Maybe, maybe don't put this out there for everybody to see. <laughs> it's one of those. It's a video. You put it up on private. You sleep on it and see how you feel in the morning after about that kind of stuff. Yeah, or maybe like shoot it, sit on it for a couple days, put it in the show attic. it to somebody else first, <laughs> and then when they go, uh, maybe not. 
<laughs> be very be very perceptive of how they tell you that it, it's good it, it's good that's good all right guys i think that's it so if i if i don't respond to you on facebook don't take offense but facebook will mostly don't be just burn any penske file memorabilia if we don't <laughs> respond to you on facebook <laughs> although if you do if you do Make a video of it and show it to us. You, you know why I'm saying this is because on Facebook, when you run the page, Facebook does a, a very good job of being like, a person has commented and you haven't responded to them in, in seven hours. It's like, what's yeah. wrong with you? And it's like, well, I just want this thing to say 100% because I'm kind of anal about that kind of stuff. Like I want my <laughs> response rate to be up there. But then at a certain point, you got to realize that it's just a it's just a computer playing you for a fool. But anyway, guys, thank you very much for listening to the show. We appreciate it. Check out uh, Wax is Waxworks, isn't it? Comics. Waxwork, no S. Waxwork. Waxwork. Records. Okay. Check out that. You get the LP. It's fifteen bucks. You can buy it, and I'll put a link in the video. Other than that, I think that's it. We'll be back with uh, another episode after this one. I forget what's after Sanctuary, but I think we have another couple before we get back to a solid showing of uh, quality. But anyway, that's about it. Clay, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. We will see you next time. <laughs>